You're listening to Technically 200, a podcast featuring the stories of amazing Black and Latina women in STEM. This season, in honor of Mother's Day, we are highlighting the powerful stories of Black and Latina mothers in STEM. Stay tuned each week for these roundtable conversations as we learn more about the inspirational and authentic experiences of Black and Latina moms not only making it happen for their families, but for the entire STEM ecosystem. I would like to welcome the illustrious Michelle Tovar Mora. She is a mechanical engineer for an LA-based utility company, as well as Fernanda Sulantain. She is currently completing her PhD in chemical engineering at Yale and working as a researcher. Ladies, thank you so much for for joining today. I'm really excited to talk to you both. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, But first and foremost, you, you ladies actually know each other, but you have never met. Is that right? Yeah, we're virtual friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how, does, how does that work? We met through Instagram. You know, um, I think we both started our Instagram to do outreach during COVID. And, you know, there's not that many um, moms in STEM. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but specifically speaking, 50% of women after having their first child, they actually leave the STEM field. Um, so there's not a large support group. So after a while, I think online people just kind of end up interacting with each other. The ones that are online, because obviously not all moms in STEM are online or have an Instagram. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I remember I started a little bit before the pandemic, but yeah, during the pandemic, um, I started meeting a lot of a in, uh, engineers women engineers and then I found her and I'm like oh my god another mom <laughs> I need to talk to her <laughs> yeah and I was all like oh mom doing a PhD because at some point in my life I considered doing a PhD I started a master's and I started a thesis and I said no way I, I do not want to be in school for like five more years <laughs> so I switched to the comprehensive exam so I really admired her dedication to become a PhD student <laughs> Um, but we get kind of kicked it off and we constantly talk about different stuff or experiences. <laughs> so I, I checked out your, your, your Instagrams and I, how do you find the time to be these empowered STEM professionals, raising kids and also have some crazy content out there on Instagram? Like I, I was taking a look and it looks like you all are, you're, are you an influencer? Both of you? You're influencers, aren't you? I don't consider myself an influencer. I, <laughs> Bernana, you might be an influencer with TikTok, but I'm not an influencer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I consider myself more of a content creator. You know, I create content to help um, college students. And yeah, sometimes, you know, there's some things that do align with being an influencer. But yeah, I don't think, I mean, because we're not doing beauty or like, clothing and stuff like that it's more like stem related so so talk to us more about what you are trying to to accomplish with with your social media presence because i think you know to your point we see a lot of beauty influencers and health and wellness and and fitness and all of that but I, I I don't hear as much about empowerment let alone stem empowerment so so what does that look like for you 
Yeah. So for me, actually, before I had my baby, I love volunteering. And then when I had my baby, I didn't have too much time to go out and, you know, do things in person. And that's how I started doing it online. And I started giving the tips, the college tips or um, any tip that I had um, that it was beneficial for me. So I shared with others and I saw that people were liking it. So I just kept doing that. And then for me, um, same thing. I always volunteered since I was like in high school, I did different types of volunteer. Then I got into like STEM volunteering during college um, for like middle schools and elementary and then when I became a professional, I still continued volunteering and everything was in person. Um, when I originally started my public outreach um, volunteering galvanized STEM, is the purpose behind that was to engage more students, but content changes. I realized that there wasn't that many moms in STEM, get alone like moms that continue. I met, I met a few moms that transition from becoming an engineer or a scientist to stay at home. And that sparked some curiosity in me to like, wait, they might not have had the support that they needed out there. They might have been in the wrong company because there's a lot of companies that lack that support for women. And the thing with, I feel that in STEM, not only is it extremely challenging in the workplace, but a lot of the time it requires travel. So if you're in a traveling role and then you become a mom, you cannot do that. And I've experienced that. that I, I, I can't travel as much as I used to. Oh, I don't want to travel. I can't, but that will require a big uplift for my family um, and burden on my family that I really want to put on them because I do have the support from them. Um, so I, I went from, from essentially trying to spark the interest to mainly trying to provide outreach to women, women in STEM because there's a lot of women, younger, younger college graduates that are interested in becoming mothers someday. And this just questions of how am I going to balance my career and motherhood come up? So now I do I do both. A lot of it is tailored towards moms in science um, and trying to engage more women. Hey, look, you could become a mother and still balance a career. You just have to look for the right company that fits your needs and your family's needs. Yes, actually, mine, my social media as well, like it has been changing, as you were saying, <laughs> I've been adapting. Um, but yeah, one of the reasons why I showcase being a mom, it's because when I became pregnant, and I was in college, the first thing I did was I went to YouTube, and I was like, student mom, <laughs> to just see if there was another student doing the same thing and how they were doing it. And I didn't find I actually only found like one person. And then I was like, okay, let me share a little bit about it. So I don't specifically only share about that, but I share like my life, you know, how it, how it's like to be a mom, a student, but also a first generation student, a Latina immigrant, all of these different things that it gave me some challenges when I was in engineering school. Um, so since I found some solutions and things that helped me, that's why I want to share it with others. It's got to be so nerve wracking to to be a new mom. You know, I you both have uh, Michelle. I know you've got two kiddos, and Fernanda is there uh, one or is it one or two? One. 
one. So I'd love to hear about. <laughs> so what was the biggest challenge of, of, of being a new mom? If you can think back to that and, you know, Fernanda, I guess it wasn't, wasn't too, too long ago for you. Yes. So for me, in general, being a mom, it, it's like you're, you're learning so many new things and you're taking care of another human being and trying to keep him alive. I think that's a lot of work. But uh, as a student, I think that the biggest challenge is that I realized that schools or at least the college that I was going to, it, it was not programmed for students that are not normal, you know, like the, they're typical students. So like students who commute, who work, who have families. So navigating through that and like talking to professors and see how, how much time I could take off or where can I pump, uh, you know, stuff like this. It, it was a challenge to figure out. Yeah, and I think for me was childcare. I mean, my company, I work for a public public utility. Um, is is not private, so they're a little bit more advanced and proactive on the whole maternity leave. So you do have any it's your choice. You can take anywhere from three to six months. But the first six to eight weeks, it's on disability. The rest of the time you take off, it's your personal vacation, sick time, or um or unpaid leave. Um so I think that in the childcare aspect, they don't provide childcare. So that's a big setback for a mom. Um, especially what I didn't know is when everybody kept telling me when I when I got pregnant, um, I had been trying for two years. So it was very, very extremely planned. So as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, it, it was I was probably between eight to ten weeks pregnant when I went to get on the wait list for childcare. And I did not get called back from a childcare till my son was nine months. At this point, I had already been back at work for five months. So for those five months, I had to put the burden on my family, which I'm fortunate enough to have close by. A lot of women do not have family close by or their parents work or their support system works. Um, so childcare as a working mom is definitely the biggest setback and one of the things I'm most scared of with COVID is that so many child cares closed around the area and actually across the U.S. Uh, I, I'm assuming across the world, but I only I only look at the U.S. because that's what affects us. Um, in downtown L.A., I know already of three child cares that have closed permanently because they just couldn't couldn't thrive without children being present. And even with the funding that was made available, they couldn't survive the, the pandemic. So. That's one of the things that is very scary. I know that pre-COVID, there was already an infrastructure issue with childcare. Now, post-COVID, I mean, it's going to be even worse. So you will see a lot of working moms having to take the decision to stay at home, unfortunately. And that's the infrastructure needs to change. And we need to make start making a difference on how we provide childcare for, for working moms so that we could keep them in the field. Yeah, because even right now, um, already in graduate school, I'm doing my PhD. But during the pandemic, same thing. I didn't want to take him to childcare, and um, and I do have my family who help me, but they don't help me all the time. So I'm like in between doing research and taking care of him, and I have to work late. And yeah, most of the time, the burden it's for us, for the moms, right? Correct. 
how can significant others do a better job of pitching in uh, when it comes to childcare? You quit your job. Let us work. (laughs) 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 No, um, I think it's kind of difficult. That's that's a difficult subject because my my husband's extremely hands on. And uh, we it's funny because my sister, the other we called me. You're such a 50 50 mom because we I expect 50 percent of my husband's workload to 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 help with the kids and around the house. But unfortunately, sometimes my kids don't want to go with their dad. They want mom. Um, like he he tries to help my get my toddler to to go with him so that he could give me a break and I could focus on breastfeeding the baby but my toddler wants to say no mama (laughs) and that's difficult but I think as far as maybe taking the proactive approach of helping find daycares and provide the recommendations um reach out to like your own company and be be a voice for us and hey we need to focus more on the infrastructure because it needs to come from both sides yes it affects women because often we make the decision of the woman staying at home because we breastfeed or we feed we want we want that it's been more known as we want that bonding experience but a male also could take the bonding experience so that's where one of the things that i often advocate is i didn't want to take five months off from work and not because I didn't want to prioritize my child, but my husband and I both decided that the bonding experience should be split. And I I took three months off with my first kid. He went ahead and took eight weeks off and we split that role where I didn't feel like super over. I'm like, Oh my goodness, who's going to take care of our baby for all this month? Um, We split that responsibility and we want more male, men to take that 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 role and if the woman goes back to work and your and and your company offers the paternity take advantage of it and take it and if they own be an advocate and ask for it yeah so i agree with what michelle is saying and yeah one thing it's being proactive because sometimes i feel like they're like I mean, I don't want to say all the guys, but (laughs) at least my husband, sometimes he's a little bit laid back and exactly like he thinks, yeah, I'm going to take the decisions. I'm going to do it. Whenever I tell him to do something, he is willing to do it. But sometimes we need um, them to be more proactive. And um, but yeah, also it depends on the situation. Um, This whole year I've been working from home. So of course, like I'm home and my kid is home. So then I have to take care of him. Right. So it will depend on everyone's situation. But yeah, it's helpful to be proactive and all the time, like ask and see how how you can help. On that same token is so I'm the CEO of Code to College. I'm not sure how much you know about us, but um, as an organization, we leverage the latent talent within the tech ecosystem to deliver after-school coding education, professional development, and mentorship to high school students who are mostly Black, Brown, and girls. And we place a number of them into paid summer internships before they go off to college. And so um, we hired uh, two men. Just hired our first man like a month ago. (laughs) And, but I mean, as you can imagine, you know, we're in the social impact space. So um, generally speaking, tend to attract more women. And I imagine that we'll probably continue to have 
um, a, a large uh, proportion of, of female staff members. And so what are some things I need to be thinking about and, and other employers need to be thinking about to, to really support, um, to, to support women, but also to support moms? I think flexibility. Um, I think um, sometimes a lot of private companies, they kind of see how many hours you put in is they gauge you by your performance, right? The more, the more hours you put on the books, um, the more valuable employee you are. And unfortunately you can't, when you become a mom, you can't be working 60 hour work weeks and especially not even be compensated for that because a lot of them are salary based. So the way that I talk to people, it's like, if you're salary based and you're putting in 60 hour work weeks, your hourly rate dilutes. So effectively, how much are you really making an hour? You need to take that into consideration. Um, so I always say flexibility. Um, I know that when I was in private, in the beginning, that company was great, but then they got bought out by another company who had that mentality of how much can you put on the books? How much billable um, can you can you put if you're non-billable? I think they fired like one person because they were technically non-billable. So that flexibility and childcare. I think that there's a lot of companies that could arrange their funding to be able to put childcare or if they don't want to have a facility, at least subsidize childcare because the reason there's a lot of women that end up leaving the field and some men as well um, is because, excuse me, childcare is just so expensive. So you have to make the decision. Okay, if all your salary is going to a childcare, they make the decision that it's better to for me to go and take care of the child or one of the parents to take care of the child instead of paying childcare where you have to coordinate drop off, coordinate drop off, plan for their lunches. Um, and w- once somebody's home, you don't have to do that because it is a hassle planning your your week of the, what, how many diapers you have to take, the sheets that you have to take, their food. Um, so is the flexibility that a company could provide along with the child care, whether it's at one of their facilities or help subsidize um, the the cost of childcare. Yes, I agree with that. In in the university where I am right now, they actually they give me a fellowship for childcare, and that's helpful. Also, they give me health insurance. Um, so, I mean, I haven't like I'm not I don't work at a company, but they they do give me these things and it is very helpful for me. Um, and I think that being understanding on the of the situation, I mean, maybe since you have kids, you're already understanding of the situation. Um, but, you know, in general, people, because I remember hearing another girl um, talking about she left the, the STEM field, she left her job and she was saying that also other people in the office were saying, oh, she's taking so many, so many breaks. She's going to pump. But I mean, you have to pump like every two or three hours and for like, I don't know, half an hour or something like that. But you you have to know it's just going to be for a period of time, not forever. Right. So try to be understanding in those cases. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, for that. I was lucky enough that my facility has puppy rooms, but they're not all on the floor. So I have to go six floors down <laughs> to go to the pumping room. And sometimes it, it, it does seem like you're taking so many breaks. And then as 
as a woman, you're like, oh my goodness, I have to start like you overcompensate and you sometimes don't want to go to lunch because you've been pumping. Um, so it's definitely something that I don't stress me out. Um, but it stressed me out at the beginning. But honestly, my boss, although he has no kids, he was very extremely understanding where sometimes he would tell me, hey, let me just step outside. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go make a call um, or I could work from here from outside so that I didn't have to go down the sixth floor. He would step out of his office and I would be able to pump in his room. So we need more males like that. <laughs> um, yeah. That even if they don't have kids, they just need to be understanding. I mean, they were a child at once. They have a mother. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so we definitely need more allies um, in the workforce that instead of um, looking frowning upon a mom that's working is they should lift us up and be a little bit more accommodating and sit and I mean, even being breastfeeding, we're doing a lot. It's we we decide to make the decision for our child. Fernanda, you you were actually pregnant during your undergraduate experience, right? Yes. Can you can you talk about that? What was that like? Yes. So yeah, when I found out that I was pregnant, for me, I was in shock and because it wasn't planned. And I really felt that that was it for me. I was not going to finish my degree. And yeah, that was that was the end of my career. (laughs) Because of how society always makes you feel. And but anyway, after a few days of thinking about it, I was like, no, like I'm going to try it and I'm just going to try to keep going. And actually, um, so I found out that I was pregnant in January and over the summer, I had this uh, research uh, program that I was going to be part of in the Czech Republic. And I was scared that I was not going to be able to go, but I talked to the person who run the program and she told me that it was fine I was not gonna work in the lab I was gonna do more computational work and I realized okay like if I talk to people maybe I can make things happen and I went when I was six months pregnant and I was there for like 10 weeks and I came back when I was eight months pregnant um and then my fall semester started it was the beginning of my junior year of college and I had to talk to all my professors to see how that was going to work with the homeworks and the exams and everything but yeah I went to class until like three days before my due date and then I only took like two weeks off and then I came back because I didn't want to lose any semester like I didn't want to lose time so then after I had my baby, luckily, I didn't have to work for like a year. I didn't work. So um, when so I would go to the university to take classes. And then when I was home, I was with my baby um, and I did have help for I have help still um, from my family, as I was saying at the beginning, um, not all the time. But, yeah, it's super helpful that sometimes they can watch my son. How critical was having your family in the picture to you continuing on and and persisting in your degree? It was 100% necessary. Um, So actually, my parents are, so I'm from El Salvador and my parents were not living here at that moment. 
but my husband's mom she's the one who helped me a lot for the first like one year and a half um and then like my sister sometimes she will take some days off and um also my grandma came all the way from El Salvador to help me for a few months and it was a collective effort but yeah it it's been very critical because um as Michelle was saying childcare it's very expensive so I don't know if I would have been able to do that um since I was a college student to start right and then now that the pandemic started um it, it, I was just afraid that, you know, that someone will get COVID if, if he went to childcare. So, yeah, it's been 100% necessary. Michelle, I mean, you, you yourself, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, have had varying experiences in terms of, of support from employers. And um, what does accessibility to childcare look like for you now? Well, I mean, my kids had daycare. Um, now my my newborn is with me. Once I go back to work, I'm gonna have to lean. And this is a personal choice because they could go into daycare now because they have like the sibling priority. Um, so I don't have to wait the eighteen months that I had to wait with my son. But I don't want to put her in till she's six months because I feel like at that point she's like eating a little bit more solids and she's starting to crawl. So for about three months, I'm going to lean on my mother-in-law and my, and my mom, right? My family, period. I have, I have five sisters in the area, um, but th- they all work. So I, I just have to coordinate all of that. I'll be taking additional time out between me and my husband. We've already kind of discussed like Thursdays, Fridays are going to be in the flux. We might have to be taking time out because his mom might not be available throughout the whole week. Um, and uh, it's funny that you talk about having to study Fernanda because in the public sector, as an engineer, for whatever reason, there's this policy that you cannot promote to a supervisor without having your professional engineer's license. So no matter how good of a candidate you are, which I personally think that I'm a phenomenal worker, <laughs> um, but I think so is my colleagues because I have gotten reached out to hey, do you have your license so I could interview for promotion opportunities? And I, the answer is no, I don't have my license because I failed my exam. Um, and I failed my exam a few times already. And now that I have two kids, when I first had my son, I was so overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my goodness, if I hadn't passed it without a child, what makes me think that I'm going to be able to pass it with a child and not have two kids? So the stress of, of having to pass the exam or not having, wanting to pass this exam so that I could excel more in my career is getting real. (laughs) Um, I I signed up for my exam for August 24th, hoping to pass it. I start a class um, with PPI, um, which which is an online, I guess, online professional engineer service that they that you could take classes and use some of their tools to prepare for the exam. And I started in June. So I'm going to be studying for 12 weeks and I have to, I have to find some time. So I've talked to my husband. I say, Hey, once this class starts and I go back to work, we're going to have to find out a schedule so that you take care of the kids while I'm studying, because this is a setback in my career. Um, and a lot of people don't know this. I did not know that the profession did your license was so big in the public ent- entity. Um, there's the engine, the EIT, which is your 
um, fundamentals of engineering training certification that you need. And actually, if you don't pass that, the public entity won't let you go. And this is across m- multiple cities. Um, and I learned that because I interned um, in my hometown city of Santa Ana. I, I interned there. So I knew that if you did not pass your 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 certification within, I think, two years, they, they won't let you go. Um, but in private, you don't even need that. Um, when now is a private, you could you could excel in private. What's more valuable in private is your master's or your PhD because the more um, the more degrees you have, the higher mobilable rate that they can hi- they can charge a customer. Um, so it's a little bit different because it's not a degree, but it is a license that I, I would need. And I don't know, Fernando, if you're planning on getting that down the line, but. I know um, if you go into the public entity, it's um, it's needed for you, for me to promote. So that's the next thing in my career that I need to take care of. And I'm going to need that support system for my family. How, how hard was that to ask or to negotiate with your husband that that time that you need to prepare for the exam? It's not, my husband's an engineer himself. Um, actually, we're working for the same company and he knows how important it is. So I think because he knows how important it is and the setback in my career, um, he knows that there's groups that want to promote me, but unfortunately, because of the rules placed into by the, by, by the company, they cannot promote me. There's no way around it unless I get that exam. Um, like I said, no matter how much of a phenomenal worker you are, they cannot promote you without this. So since he's aware of the pressure, it's, it, it hasn't been hard. It's actually, he's been very, um, whatever you need, just let me know what hours you, you need and we'll make it work. Um, he just told me, make sure you just pump so that I can have milk for the baby. And he, and he he's even told me if I need to leave the house so that it could be really quiet, um, then I'll go ahead and leave the house. And mainly is if he needs to be leave the house so my son doesn't run in here because my son, if I'm around, he's going to want to come to mom anyways. Yes. <laughs> um, I do want to give an input on that because um, in in my case, um, I think I've had to do a lot of explaining to my family of why my, you know, getting my PhD is important because I come from a, First gener- I'm a first generation student, so my parents didn't graduate from college and they do support me. Uh, they did support me to go to college, but for them, it was like, OK, you got your bachelor's. That is it. Right. Like what is next? And now it's like, oh, my God, you're going to do your Ph.D. And that's like five to six years. Why are you doing doing that to yourself? <laughs> and also I heard a lot about like you're a mom now you need to take more time for your son and you know I already feel guilty and other people are making me feel guilty right so it was a lot of talking I at the beginning I I will get a little bit upset that they wouldn't understand but of course they're I, I had to understand that they're not in the same place as me. And as you were saying, Michelle, like your husband understand because he's an engineer, but nobody in my family is an engineer. Nobody has gotten their PhD. Um, so for, for them, it's kind of like I'm pushing it too much. <laughs> that know? is so but- funny that you say that because <laughs> um, 
when I failed my exam a few times, and I'm very open. I most people won't share online that they failed exams. And I, I remember a coworker telling me, why did you share that you failed your exam? And why are you so open about, especially at work, because it's so important to pass this. People will not share because most of people walk with their heads down because we're all embarrassed. And it's not that I'm not embarrassed. It's like, I'm not only going to share my success stories. I'm going to show you that I keep failing this exam, but I'm not going to give up. <laughs> yeah. I have to like study a little bit harder because I really want to pass it. And I'm not going to stop trying just because I have a newborn. I'm going to keep trying because now I need to set an example. And what am I going to do? You're going to be like 18 and be like, oh, I stopped trying to take my exam to like stay in associate level because I had you. <laughs> no, I'm going to show you that we we could balance it. it. It might take me a little bit longer, but I'm not giving up. But when it came to childcare, um, you know, I'm, I'm a first generation um, Latina. My, both of my parents um, and three of my sisters actually were all born in, in Mexico. Um, and they, they can't, they migrated here obviously before I was born. So like 33 years ago. Um, and when I told him I was going to put them, put my kid in daycare, it, it, it was a shocker to them. It's like, how are you going to put them in daycare with somebody that they don't know with a stranger? Like, are you sure they're going to be okay? And it's because we, we don't really, Hispanics don't really put kids in daycare. I mean, even now, like my, my child is one of the only Hispanics at the childcare and it's in downtown LA, which has predominantly Latinos, but we, we just, we don't believe in putting your kid in daycare, but I didn't want to put the burden on my family. Um, although they're amazing, they would be willing to help. I didn't want to put that burden on them because we, I know it was going to be a five year like thing. And the time that I do need to study, I rather utilize them to help me in other ways and then not be like, hey, can you watch them while I'm at work? And can you also, by the way, watch them while I'm studying? Um, that would be a little bit too much a to, to ask for. And even now, right right now, when I have my second case, I'm like, you should take your kid out of daycare um, so that they could like bond. And I've tried that. When I've left for work, I've taken him with me. And then it's so hard to get them back into the routine where they start crying for like a week. And so I can't do that. I would just take them out earlier. Um, and it, I, I do get that pressure. And you're right. You, I already feel guilty. It's like, and sometimes they do make me feel a little bit more guilty. It's like, well, why are you keeping them on daycare? There's not even, there'll be comments like, they're not even bonding with like sister, right? And it's like, it's just a decision that I made because they're not going with a family member. So if I was taking to grandmas and grandpas, and they didn't see them for a week, it would be easy for them to go back to grandma and grandpa's but because they are with strangers, which become like family at the end of the day, right? It's not the same thing. It's a little bit different. So we do have to manage things a little bit different. Um, and I think we're always going to struggle a little bit being first generation. Um, we are going to be the ones having to explain a little bit more. And I agree with you. Sometimes it's frustrating and it's like, well, why don't you, why don't you listen? Why? I mean, why don't you understand? Right. <laughs> but it's now I'm a little bit more commerce. Like, oh, they never experienced that. So it's up to us to educate them on our own experience. And they might not fully understand, but at some point they'll grasp a little bit and understand. And the little bit that they understand is what's making them better for like my younger siblings or even like my own kids when they have to do that. 
grandma and grandpa would be like, why do you have to put your kid at daycare? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Like you don't need to, to have that uncomfortable conversation for them to understand how we feel and why, why this is important. And it's kind of like, okay, this is my decision. So like you either support me or not. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, they are happy for me. They want to help me. They just didn't have my same mindset. So we just had to have that conversation to like get in the same page. Yeah, and I know you're focusing more on the moms in STEM, but I will want to share this experience. When I was a bachelor's student in undergrad, um, I were it, it was a really hard relationship between my parents and me because I left Orange County and went to LA, which to them it was a big impact. Like, why are you leaving the house when there's Cal State Fullerton down the street? And I decided to go to Cal State LA. They just didn't understand that their daughter was leaving to go to college to pursue an education when there was options in the surrounding area. So um, it was kind of like an, it was a constant battle trying to explain to them because they thought I had just gone out to like party and leave the house um, where there, there was, they were definitely supportive, but it was, a difficult support where I had to constantly explain to them I'm studying and they didn't believe me when I was studying at one, two o'clock at night, because who studies that late, right? Who, who has to bust all nighters and, and not sleep um, to them. It was difficult because there was nobody in my family for one that had gone to college and two, no engineers in the family. So they didn't understand that. Um, but I will tell you this, my, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, they experienced the same thing where his parents would actually show up to school to make sure that he was studying at one or two in the morning. And it's because he's, he's the first generation too. But when I pursued a master's, everything was different because they saw the reward of me pursuing a bachelor's. And um, as soon as I, pursued, I graduated with my bachelor's, um, I ended up ha- having a job and I was able to actually financially be able to help my family. And, and I think that kind of changed things a little bit, the perception of, Oh, this is actually worth it. And I wasn't just messing around in college for six years. Cause it took me six years to graduate from my undergrad. Um, and they probably thought like, Hey, this is supposed to take four years, not six years. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that, that didn't help. <laughs> um, but the bachelor's experience was, uh, was a lot different than a master's experience. I felt a lot more support for my family and a lot m- more understanding because they already went through the six years of me being an undergrad. And it wasn't just to say, hey, I'm going to school and, and get out and not do anything. They saw the reward of, oh, you're a working professional now. Um, so the and, and now that my sister is going, when my, when my little sister left to college, Oh my goodness, everybody was so happy. They took her over there. But my 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 sisters always told me, you set that path for her where it was easier for her to go to college than you um, because they know the rewards of you getting an education. That's, you know, it's, it's, I really do appreciate you bringing that up. And it does relate to what we're talking about because, there are so many students of ours and so many young ladies who I can think of who are in the same boat. They are, they are you, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And 
for many of them, they're having to make these same decisions, uh, you know, of having competing priorities of, do I go to this after-school program where I can learn how to code and improve my future, um, but it's delayed gratification or delayed realization, or do I contribute to household income and take this job and, and not go to after-school programming because I need to work as much as possible. And so w- what are some of the, um, what would you tell a student like that who's having to make that very, I mean, that is a tough decision, you know, to be one of the earners for your house um, as a high school student. Oh, I started working when I think I was 16 and um, I never stopped working. Um, if it, if I would have talked to my younger self, I would have not worked um, and uh, taken advantage of more of the after school. I mean, I, I play sports, I play water polo, but I wasn't in, I didn't do like the coding or the STEM. I didn't even know what STEM or engineering was till I got to college. So I would tell them to not work. You have your whole life to work. Focus on engaging your mind in the activities. Take advantage of the tools that the schools are offering. Um, even, even when I transitioned from my full-time, from my internship to my full-time job, I continued working my internship Till the day before I, I worked my, um, I started my new job. And even when I went from private to public, I worked the whole way. I never took a break in between because for us as, as, as first generation, it's a privilege to have a job. You don't take time off. Even, I mean, even I, I used to struggle with taking vacations because our parents don't have vacations. They don't have paid vacation. So to me, I, I even tell people now, so like, Focus on your education. If you don't have to have a job, don't don't work. Pull out the loans, but make sure you complete that degree so you could pay for the loans. Because if you pull out a loan and you don't complete the degree, then you kind of wasted pull, pulling the loan. So make sure that once you make the decision that you're going to pull out those those loans during your education is make that commitment to complete your education. Um, so yeah, in my case, I didn't go to high school in the US. I came when I was 19 years old and I had I came only with my older sister and we had to work. Um, so that was like the primary thing we had to do, work. And then we went to college because we wanted to get an education. Um, so I actually tried to do everything. I was, I went to college, I worked and I also did volunteering because I liked it or like did these um, other programs like doing research over the summer. And thankfully I found programs that were paid. Um, So yeah, like that's, that was one helpful thing for me. And the other thing that I will say to high school students is to learn about passive income and to see how they can make money without even actually working, right? Um, that's one cool thing about working on social media. I, I started doing it because I like it, but then now I make money from it. And so, you know, I, I'm doing my PhD and I don't get paid that much. <laughs> Graduate students don't get paid that much, but I'm also making uh, passive income from the content that I make on social media or, you know, try to like learn about maybe investing in the stock market or selling t-shirts with um, 
print on demand. I do that. Uh, it's not a lot of work. Um, just at the beginning, a little bit of work, but then, you know, you keep making money on the side. So what? that's one thing that I think when I was a high school student, I thought that you had to be like super smart to like do stuff like that. Uh, but in reality, if you uh, watch some YouTube videos of how to do these things, I, I'm, I'm sure that people can do it. Do you have the, uh, do you have the swipe up? Like you could do swipe up on your stories. Yes. <laughs> You're a legend. Look at this. Look at this. Yes. Yeah. Up. When I got it, I was like, I'm swiping up. I, I'm putting links on everything. <laughs> oh man. I'm gonna hit you I don't even know how that works. Like, I don't even know what you have to do to do that. <laughs> oh, you have to get uh, 10,000 followers. On okay. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, would love to take more of your time at a later date, so Code to College could get there because getting that swipe up is a big deal. <laughs> We're yeah, trying to get that but, swipe up. But I do want to say this to all the students. I, it looks like it's something impossible, but I think this is one of the traits that helped me. I don't see it as impossible and you just have to work a little bit and then you figure out and then you automate it <laughs> and then it's going. <laughs> I love it. Well, ladies, I really appreciate you making the time today. Uh, we We love to wrap up our interviews with a speed round of getting to know you. So I've got three questions. You only have 10 seconds to answer <laughs> three questions. Here we go. Question number one, what is the last song you listened to on repeat? Fernanda go. Oh my God. Um, Mariposa Traisonera by Mana. All right. And Fernanda. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Mine will be Telepatia. Have you guys heard that song? Yeah. <laughs> That's on repeat. Nice. Uh, next question. What is your favorite food to be cooked for you? Not by you, for you. I like um, sushi. It's, you don't really cook it, but I really like sushi. If somebody could make me a good sushi dish, I'm sold. <laughs> Best number one role. Let's drill oh, down. I, li I like more like sashimi, but anything that has tuna. <laughs> yes, that's good. Uh, for me, it will be any vegetarian dishes because I I like the vegetarian um, uh, food, but I just don't know how to cook it that much. So when someone makes something delicious that it's vegetarian, I love it. <laughs> Give me the last best one you had, Fernanda. Um, it, it was a Mediterranean bowl. But yeah, with no meat. So that's got like what? Couscous in there? Well, mine had quinoa, tomatoes, a cucumber, olives, um, hummus. I forgot what else. But yeah, those things. Oh, man, sounds good. Maybe a little bit of pita on the side. Yes, pita. Oh, man. Um, and then the last question what one what is one piece of advice that you have for a student who's listening right now who's already been inspired by you a female or just in general take it as you wish <laughs> okay so for the, the females out there because this is a mountain stem is you could definitely be a successful career woman and balanced motherhood 
Um, my advice is, as I was saying before, even though you think things are impossible, if you work hard and you keep your eyes on the prize, you can do it. You just have to be organized and yeah, keep working. It is possible. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you can absolutely be a successful career woman and a mom and you absolutely positively can be successful. Just make sure that you are giving it your all. Thank you so much to Michelle Tovarmora and Fernanda Sulantai for your time today. It was super insightful. And I know that you will be inspiring way more students and, and girls and boys and women and men than you even know. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, can't wait to share this with the public. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having us. I had so much fun. Nice to meet you. Yeah, definitely look forward to the podcast and um, to just hearing more, more of this court to college, actually. <laughs> yes, me too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, ladies. I hope you have a wonderful evening. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to today's Technically 200 episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at technically200.com.